As I walk amongst these foundations, I see concrete into solid rock, firm and sound. I remember walking amongst the foundations of the old city of Corinth. Rubble, not so firm, not so solid and grounded. Yet Paul writes to the people in Corinth in his first letter to the Corinthians, and we learn what's good about the church. God has built for us a solid foundation, sound and firm. Jesus is the head of our church. Well, that's the title of our new series that begins today. Firmly Founded, Safely Grounded. And today we want to talk about what's good about the church. There is a lot that's good about the church. I want to suggest to you that uh, if we're going to tackle that, we need to start at the beginning of the chosen book for this series, which is 1 Corinthians. So if you have your scriptures open, uh, please go with me to 1 Corinthians and chapter 1. We are going to launch right through verse 1 to 3. So Paul called, he is a called person of God. He's called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sothenes. To the church of God in Corinth, so he's writing clearly to this church uh, founded in Corinth. And I feel that what he says next is really biting hard at the answer to our question, what's good about the church? He says, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it be good to be in a perfect church? All right, let your mind go there. So I'm talking about a church where everyone is kind. Uh, there isn't anyone who's not considerate and even loving, like totally loving. Where uni unity amongst the people who attend is a given. So you come to church expecting unity and that's your experience. People always agree on everything. The teaching, well, it's never difficult to understand, but it's always enough to kind of keep you interested. Pretty much spot on each week. Stay with me for a bit. And the music, wow. Every week, just the right bland. Not the odd Sunday that you go, oh, that was super. It's always great and perfectly balanced, go Paul, and everyone sings every week. And the seats, well, you feel like you never want to leave. Those armchairs are amazing. And people, as they come in, the welcome team, constantly overwhelmed because God is good all the time. That's on their lips as they enter the church. The lighting, not too bright or dim, and the temperature just adjusts to what uh, heat might be outside perfectly. 
I've written down on my page here, pause. Because most would say if you got 50% of that, you feel like you woke up in heaven. It's probably not my experience. Praise the Lord if it is yours. So pretty obvious, maybe no such thing as the perfect church. I guess if it were, and even if it was 50% or somewhere close to perfect, one of us here would walk in and then it's not perfect. And if that doesn't work for you, you walk in and then you see me and you know it's not perfect. And the church could never be perfect with way too many different people, sinful and also not so sinful people. Yet the message from the first three verses of Corinthians is that this church is pretty close. Well, if you break it down a bit, Paul throws the optimism blanket all over the Corinthian church. And ultimately, he's just telling the truth. He's speaking the truth in love. And I love what he says. He's just expressing facts. Descriptive words like sanctified in Christ. Saints together, if you will. Everyone calling upon the name of the Lord. And I feel like we need to spend a bit of time at the beginning of this new series checking out how God sees us, how God sees the church. The new series we launched today titled Firmly Founded, Safely Grounded speaks to the reality that God has us on his radar and we are very much grounded and safe on his watch and soaking in the privilege it is to be part of his church across the globe, not some little microcosm, not some little geographical spot, but we are part of God's work worldwide. Isn't that awesome? And so our focus for today is what's good about the church. And throughout this series in 1 Corinthians, we will identify what's good about a whole lot of elements of church life. What's good about grace, about unity, wisdom, maturity, many aspects of what we can celebrate when we are brought together as God's people under, the God, uh, under God's sovereign headship, which is the church. And through that, we discover his plan for us. You ever heard the phrase, um, just you wait until your father gets home? <laughs> for me, uh, I heard that way too often. Uh, it was more appropriate, you just you wait until your grandfather comes home because my dad was away a lot. And boy, oh boy, did I uh, cop it. I knew that there was a line in the sand and uh, I willfully stepped over that line <laughs> and when I stepped over that line, there was a consequence. And that consequence usually went something like, your grandfather's coming home soon. <laughs> I wonder how the Apostle Paul would react 
if you walked into our church today. Uh, now, we know that most people don't go around stating that the church wronged them or something is wrong in that church or, you know, don't go to that church because they've got people. You never hear that, do you? In our perfect world. Maybe there's an exception occasionally. But let's look at this church in Corinth. It's an interesting opening or greeting from Paul given uh, what we discover. And pretty soon into this letter to the church in Corinth, we discover that the Corinthian church is definitely not perfect, which means it's relevant for me and our church. They had problems, issues, they were divided, following different leaders, social class playing a big role. They actually thought that they were better than others and they even sued each other. Um, crazy environment for church life. They even argued about what they should eat, even about the Lord's Supper. Now, to understand this church, it's going to be helpful to track some cultural and demographic and geographical factors. It's situated west of Athens in Greece. Athens is in the south of Greece. Um, Corinth is also south, but to the west of Athens. And uh, you know some famous port cities like Thessaloniki and, and Philippi? They're to the north. And you've got Asia Minor, modern Turkey, directly east. That's where the seven churches are in Revelation. So when you see it on a map like that, you think, wow, it's pretty condensed, and it was. So when you hear about getting on a boat and going, uh, that's very, very, very achievable. We'll talk more about seven churches in a moment. But it's easily accessible from Rome in the north, given the waterways. And like many of the biblical cities, it's a trading port. And we need to know that there were two main cultures, obviously Greek, until Corinth was destroyed in 146 BC, and then built back up by the Romans. They worshipped Aphrodite the goddess of love. So we find that sexual abuse and building up of notoriety was the norm in this church. They, they were norms. They weren't the new norms. They just became the norms. Some things are familiar, you know, because some of the problems our churches experience today, as in we try to keep things strong, but we fight against people in our churches, also having a foot in the culture that we live in. We live in this culture and, and sometimes we're affected by the culture we live in. We bring that into the church. You know, we've all got Netflix and Stan or Google accounts. We all watch some form of entertainment, be it the favourite orchestra coming to town or when the storm comes and beats the cowboys. But we are somewhat immersed into lots of different subcultures, variables. Uh, according to our likes and dislikes, and that's the background here in the Corinthian church. I think uh, the re relieving uh, uh, relational 
meter is really, really high. It's going through the, the roof. Relevance in what's going on for Paul to address issues in 1 Corinthians is very aligned with where we are in church life, particularly in Australia. So Paul writes this letter to the church to address the problems. He does address the issues. And one would expect Paul to explode and tell them off. I mean, I think that's what I might have done, you know, if, if I was in Paul's shoes. I, I don't know how I'd react, but there'd be some kind of disappointment. You, you plant a church and you come back and they're just riddled in whatever is the culture of the day. You'd be disappointed, yeah? Yet Paul starts off by saying, thank you, God, for what's good in the church in Corinth. Isn't that beautiful? I don't know if you've thought about that before. But he sees what is good before he addresses what he knows the Spirit has put on his heart to address. What about our church? What about us? I know the temptation is to notice the problems. However, as we look around, where can you see God at work? Have a think. And you see the evidence of the good that God has done in our church. And do we as a church therefore thank God? You see, Paul goes on to describe this church at Corinth immersed into its community and its culture and trying to keep a foot in both camps. And he describes them as the church of God. We too are a church of God. Our church is not owned by anyone. It belongs to God. And he goes deeper really quickly to say they are sanctified in Jesus. That means holy, different from others, set apart, that this church has a purpose, set apart especially for Christ, made able to worship Christ, made to be right in Christ, holy. Holy means prepared for the presence of God, made new, given a heavenly identity, made appropriate to be in God's family. In verse 2 it says, they are sanctified. You are sanctified. That's God's description of you. Have you thought about that? And can you easily apply what's written in the first three verses of 1 Corinthians you need to apply it to your household. You need to apply it to you personally. If you're a Christian here today, this is God's description of you. Set apart spiritually. I mean, there are problems. These people have issues. Yet he's telling them that they are holy. Are you getting this? Think about it. These Corinthian Christians definitely didn't have their stuff together. But in Christ, they're all together set apart for his glory. Set apart, made able to worship appropriately. Maybe Paul is reminding them here in this introduction what is real and lasting and fruitful and worth looking into, holding on to, and worth celebrating and worth applying. 
because this is how God sees us. So I believe we need to act like it. We need to look like it. And we need to live like it. Here's a question. Is this what we need to read and apply at the beginning of a new series? I know how I want to answer that. Amen, yes. What is good about the church and the people, his church? Because church, we are God's goodness planted as a solid foundation in this city. True? We are part of the church. We are the church and we are planted here in the city of Townsville for a purpose. And the series title, by the way, a reminder, Firmly Founded, Safely Grounded. Our foundations are in our faith that are meant to ground us solidly into the personhood of Jesus Christ. We are rooted and grounded in the goodness of God. We need to go deep into rock. We need to recognise how solid we've become and live that way. I wonder how different we are. I wonder if we uh, express joy and contentment or whether we just feel like we want to complain all the time. I wonder how hard we work. I wonder what attitudes we carry into our workplace or our school environment. How do we speak to people? Can others know and tell that we are a Christian by the, the vibe that we just give them when we're in their presence? by the way that we talk. Because, you know, the next description from Paul follows on. Paul says these people are called to be saints. We are called to be saints, his holy people expected to live in holiness, both individually and collectively as a church. And do we? So Paul didn't have it easy. He certainly had his opposers and mockers. He was pretty amazing when you think about it. If he's sitting down to write this letter, imagine what's going through his mind of the things that he needs to address. And yet this is how he begins. I don't want to miss that. Because he starts with what's good about the church. What's good about the church in essence is Jesus Christ has planted us, has grounded us in his own personhood by the power of his spirit. And so we are the church. What's good about the church is you and me in Christ. Not you and me outside of Christ, but you and me inside the personhood of God 
We are what's good about the church. Amen? Because we're sanctified. We're made holy. We're made able to reflect and represent the love of God. We are safely, safely grounded. Lots of people didn't like Paul. They didn't like his faith or what he had to say. So nothing new under the sun in Townsville, right? No different. Some challenged him, accused him, hurt him, wronged him, yet he chose to thank God for them. I wonder how much we know about people, and I'd say probably we know a lot more than we think. And we know many people have problems. They need help with everyday issues. And we need to thank God for them. Paul states, as he goes on in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 1, that the church of Corinth have been given all speech and knowledge. They've been enriched. We've all heard the saying, if you have nothing nice to say, then don't say anything at all. You see, we have the gospel. We have lots of good things to say. God gave us his son to die for us. We have the Holy Spirit. And if God has called you to do something, he will always equip you for it. That's the beauty of being the goodness in the church, that as the church steps forward in mission, God has been there before we get there. And he's prepared for that engagement or that conversation or that wonderful gift that we bring, the goodness that we bring. He has enriched you. That's precious and poignant. Some of us need to take a grip on that. God has given us all gifts. We do have issues. We have problems. That's why we all need God. Together we need God. Individually we need God. How do we use the gifts that God has given us? Are we motivated by love or maybe we're not motivated or or maybe we're motivated by something else? In Matthew uh, 25, uh, it picks it up from verse 14, but it's the account of the master going on a journey. You might know the parable and he puts his servants in charge until he returns and then the servants all uh, give different returns. So I ask again, how are you using the gifts that God given for you, to you? Because gifts are given so that we glorify God when we serve. When we offer our gifts to people, the church is blessed, people are blessed, God is glorified. Paul goes on to talk about that and we'll get there. I trust that we are grateful to God for the work that he's doing in each of our lives. I love the confidence that he has as he begins. Not in the church per se, but in God, 
because in that introduction, he solidly uh, brings out the fact that these people are the way that they are because of God. The change has been because of God. Nothing in our lives will keep us strong. Only God can do that. We need to serve in love, help each other, be there for one another. And if we look in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, we, we can see churches are still in the mud with issues. Uh, the, it seems like every church in Corinth, and then as Paul writes to various churches in other port cities and other cities, there's a common denominator. And he deals with things or different things uh, in different letters that he's writing. And it's a trade city, so when he writes to Corinth, they're going to take the message to Ephesus because they're trading backwards and forwards and moving relationally backwards and forwards all the time. So he's not kind of singling out Corinth, but he's speaking to Corinth and then the word goes everywhere, even to us. Jesus speaks through Paul. How many of us need that spoken word from Jesus? Check out this map. I find it helpful. It shows the seven churches in Revelation, but also the proximity of Jerusalem. And Corinth is off to the west, the left side of the map. Seven churches are all... Uh, part of modern Turkey, uh, described as minor, uh, Asia Minor. Uh, Tracy and I had the wonderful privilege of travelling to Corinth and then we, by boat, went to Ephesus. So I've been to Ephesus a couple of times from the mainland. Patmos is in the middle, in the red there, uh, basically in the centre. And these seven churches are due east in that little gulf section, Galatia, Asia Minor, and you've got the seven churches there. And God has a word through John for these churches, which are reflective of all our modern churches. Very relevant for us. To the church of Ephesus, he called them the loveless church. Have we as a church lost our first love? Have we moved away from the excitement and the fervour of loving God the way that we want to? Have we lost our joy and our gladness? To the church of Pergamum, uh, right up the top, and this is near the Dardanelles, it's pretty much opposite Gallipoli. He called them the compromising church. Have we as a church allowed stuff to get in the way, even taking our attention so our worship is blocked? Jesus calls these things idols, relationships that might actually distract us from God. To the, to the church of Sadi, he called them the dead church. Have we as a church become so lost that we've let our faith die? To the church of Laodicea, he ruled them uh, as complacent, the lukewarm church. And are we as a church spiritually complacent? Are we in need of a revival? If this is the case, then we all need to get down on our knees as a church and ask God for cleansing.
pray that God revives us. To the church of Thyatira, he called them the corrupt church. Is there any corruption in our church? To the church of Smyrna, he called them the persecuted church. Are we actually persecuted? To the church of Philadelphia, he called them the faithful church. Well, this is, where, this is the camp I want to be in, right? Are we the faithful church? We need to be like TUH around the corner. Many of you work there, a hospital. I walk through there and I see lots of dedicated people buzzing around, just getting different little things done and sometimes it's big things getting done, all working in an environment of brokenness. And occasionally you see someone asking directions. So, you know, there's lost people in TUH from time to time trying to find their way in a large hospital. They need help to find their way, guidance to do it safely. They need intervention. You see, in church, and most definitely in community outside of church, there are people lost looking for guidance. They need someone to come into their sphere of influence and say, this way. This, and that's where you want to go. You need to head this track. We need to be spiritually well and emotionally well so we can lead people well and be available to support others who need and want to be well. So now... Where are we at as a church? We need to look at this. Each person, uh, I'm, I've got issues and problems. I'm sure most of you have got issues and problems. They're all distractions. Uh, very much the language in recent weeks and months. So many distractions in the life of church. We need to be about dealing with whatever issues there are because we are holy people, amen? Satan uses our stuff to distract us from setting our hearts and minds on Christ and the holiness that he has presented to us. Do you agree with that? It pretty much doesn't matter whether you do or you don't. But if you don't, you're going to need to come to me with a biblical expression to contradict what I'm trying to say. Otherwise, there's no authority in your opinion because the authority is in the word of God. Amen? Amen. I want to keep it simple, say it how it is. Always time to put God first, right? Always time in our week to put God first. And a verse comes to mind in Matthew chapter 7. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. 
First take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus seems to know a lot about me. (laughs) Maybe we need to concentrate on God, on his purpose for the church, on fixing our relationship with God and surely then the rest will have a way of sorting itself out. Amen. What is good about the church? Well, people are sanctified into it. That's really good. That's a good thing about the church. That brings goodness to the church. Sanctified people. Set apart as holy. And uh, to build a construct. So this bride is pure. True? And may saints, as we call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I just want to say if you need prayer, if you need some support, if you need some help, then as the band comes up and we sing a final song, I invite you to come and just take a seat in one of these front seats. And someone, uh, here's a clue, someone will come quickly and pray with you. God always answers prayer. Let us pray together. Father, we want to thank you for the goodness of God. We want to thank you for the the goodness that is brought to the church through the person of Jesus. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that by the power of your spirit, you will continue to cleanse us as we seek your forgiveness as we desire to be your people, as we show the goodness of God in our families and in our community. We pray your blessing upon our church.